Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. Now, just uh, pausing there because I'm waiting for Luke to jump in and take over yet again. He's very mm. quiet today. <laughs> <laughs> I just got scared because last night he basically just slammed me down. But it was an awesome intro. Well done, yeah, Luke. thank you. I, I do my best. <laughs> and, you know, I, I now return you to your regular viewing schedule. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, my name is David and we're the NCP crew. Richo. Hey, hey. The aforementioned Luke. Hmm. Still have to return you to the regular, the regular listening schedule. And Crystal. Hello. <laughs> For this episode, we're going to be doing a roundtable on the 85th Academy Awards, rebranded the Oscars this year, which is uh, quite sad, I think. But anyway. Lame. Um, but that's lame. Yeah, it is kind of lame. Isn't that what we always call it anyway? I know, but... Oh, no. It's like it's bowing down to the lowest common denominator. Exactly right. To avoid confusion for those who don't know the difference between an Academy Award and its name Oscar. Yes. Um, so we'll discuss the winners. Uh, not all the winners because we don't have three hours <laughs> like the Academy does. But, uh, so we're not going to we'll do, do the technical we'll do a bunch. awards? We won't do the technicals, no. And uh, what we thought of the show itself. And because this year's Oscars had the theme music from the movies, I thought it would be cool uh, for us to talk about our favourite music from the movies and TV as well. And thanks to the awesome guys at All Star Comics, uh, Mitch and Troy, uh, we actually have a competition. Uh, we're actually going to be giving away some of the Marvel Motion Comic Blu-rays. Uh, so we've got two prizes, a pack of three and a pack of two. Uh, more details later on in the show. So thanks, All Star. Stay tuned. And on with the show. <laughs> Okay, so the 85th Academy Awards, 85 years of, Acad- of uh, Hollywood patting themselves on the back. Mm. 80- 85 years of the wrong choices being handed out year after year. They're now in the geriatric years. I don't, I don't know how, uh, how you guys went, but I did pretty bad with my predictions. Uh, I did pretty well. There's only one that I didn't get. Oh, really? That's awesome. I, I picked 100%. Yeah, me too. Really? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, so we're not going to cover all of them. We're just going to do uh, 10 of the categories. Um, so, st- uh, and then we'll, and we'll also talk about uh, the show. Okay, so starting with animated feature film. Uh, so the winner for that was Brave. Uh, now, I actually wanted Wreck-It Ralph to win. Although Brave is good, um, it just wasn't as, as much fun. See, I haven't seen Wreck-It Ralph, but I have seen Brave. Um, and I was a little underwhelmed by it. I didn't so that, thought that was vaguely disappointing because one of the nice things about the animated features in the past is that they actually have gone more for the quality over, mm. um, say, just giving it to Pixar every year. Although they <laughs> do give it to Pixar every year. Yeah, um, but when you're as brilliant as Pixar, you deserve to win. But this year. film isn't brilliant though. It's, it's nicely yeah. it's nicely lit. The the lighting in it is quite nice, and the way the animation, you know, the the movement of hair and things like that, very well done. Um, but the story itself is yeah, that's it. The story. Yeah. Yeah. So, next up, we've got original screenplay, and the winner was Quentin Tarantino for Django Unchained. No uh, surprise there. The, uh, the, the thank you for coming award, that's the we're never, ever going to give you a best director or a best picture award, Yeah. but uh, we'll give you the best original screenplay because you write really, really good dialogue. That's exactly what it is. It's really good dialogue. And the dialogue in Django is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's just... One but great dialogue scene after but another. But still, the screen, it's just, it's like 45 minutes too long. It's it's like, yeah. stru- structurally, in terms yeah. of the plot, the screenplay, um, there's a lot to be desired, but a lot of people are giving it to him because of the way that he gives dialogue. And he does create good characters. Yeah. With the exception of Django himself. 
Yeah, everyone boring else as hell. is boring. Everyone else is actually quite interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so best adapted screenplay uh, was Chris Terrio for Argo. Again, and, yeah, no surprise. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought maybe Zero Dark Thirty might shoot it in, but nah. Nah, Argo's well, was... got a hell of a script, and I yeah. think it uh, it deserves this award completely. Then we have foreign language film uh, Amour. Which is no shock if you're going to nominate it for Best Picture. Yeah. I know, it's nominated yeah. in two different categories. This, you know you got to win. But th- this happens quite a lot. Like, if only one foreign language film is nominated for Best Picture, then clearly it's going to win the Best Foreign Language <laughs> um, Award. Like, It does deserve it, though. It is excellent. Uh, next up was Best Director. And the winner was Anne Lee for Life of Pi. Uh, I reject your reality and substitute my own, and I want to put Ben Affleck in there. <laughs> The guy wasn't even nominated. Uh, it's a bit of a shame. Disgraceful. It's been explained to me before, but I just don't get the... That's happened before. Best director, best film, not... Like, if you can win one, but you can't win the other, I just mm. don't get it. Look, I, I can understand him not necessarily winning, because the best picture is not necessarily the best directed picture. Like, there can be other aspects... Um, that make it the best picture, uh, you know, beyond just the directing. But However, the director, to not the director even controls get, it. Yeah. yeah. But, but to not be nominated. Yeah, to not be nominated, though, I think is the real issue here. Yeah. I do want to point out here, however, that um, Life of Pi is actually a beautifully directed movie. Mm. Like, Ang Lee is an incredible director. And the film, the, the look of the film and the performances he gets are actually excellent. So, you know, if you're not going to nominate Ben Affleck, then I think of the other choices, he was probably the best one. Agreed. Mm. Okay, so next up was Supporting Actress. This is not in the order that the Academies did it up, by the way. It's just the order that I, mm. I typed them on the document. <laughs> uh, next up was, uh, yeah, so Supporting Actress, Anne Hathaway for Les Mis. Sorry, sorry, could you give me the full title of the film? <laughs> no, I, I, it, it turns out that I can't. Uh, <laughs> that, that French, it's uh, very, very difficult. Bloody French. Um, those French, they have a word for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Except for entrepreneur, according to George W. Bush. Um, yeah, really no surprises. I've actually seen my blame is one of the ones that I haven't seen yet. There are two that I didn't see, that and Zero Dark Thirty. Um, but the way that everyone was talking about her, um, talking her up, really no surprise. Oh, it's, it's, I have seen Les Mis and uh, I can tell you it is, it's one of the few times that mm. I've said, oh my God, thank God they actually chose the right person. Mm. She, it's just, mm. she is just absolutely breathtaking. Thank God, really, that's quite dramatic. <laughs> thank Jehovah. <laughs> <laughs> that Anne Hathaway won. Uh, uh, Come on, sorry, sorry, what was the name of that film again? Les Mis. <laughs> We're all Chuckers fans here, thank Bob. <laughs> right. The flying spaghetti monster. Okay, so next up, uh, who was actually the first one <laughs> announced on, on screen, but uh, next up on my list was Supporting Actor, and it's Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained. Yes, yes, we shall add him to the list of supporting actors who really should have been nominated for Best Actor. Yes. I, like to call this, I like to call this the Kevin Spacey Spacey Award, because yeah, when he won for The Usual Suspects as the main character in the film, I thought, you know, this is going to happen a lot, and sure enough, it, helped, it happened with Django Unchained, but... Um, Look, this is absolutely 100% the right choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christoph um, Waltz completely dominates the film from start to finish, and it's the one character, I think more than any other, that you just you just want to know everything that he's doing. You just hang off every word he says. And as I said, once once he's not in the film anymore, well, that, that's it for me. The film is over. I love how he's been nominated twice and won twice. Yeah. It's like... It's um, both Tarantino films, yeah. as we pointed yeah. out. Uh, so up for Best Actress... 
Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. The internet loves this lady. Oh, the whole world loves Jennifer Lawrence. She's a good actress. She's a good she's actress. actress. <laughs> what it comes down to. You know, what, I, what, I, what I like the most about her win is that not just that I do like her, but also that last year when she was on the scene for First Class and stuff like that, I said, this girl's going to go far. Yep. It was my Molly Meldrum. You know, <laughs> this, 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 this girl's going to be huge. And then look at her, she's huge! The bullet. Yay! But, but they were saying that, because this is her second nom. Mm. She was originally on it for a breakout film, Winter's Bond, which she's also very good in. Mm. Um, and I've been a fan of hers ever since. The standout performance here. I think the only, the only other person I possibly would have gone with was Emmanuel River, because her performance in Amour is, yeah, is quite amazing. Yeah, uh, she's, she is excellent, and she did deserve it. Mm. Uh, next up, Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. You know, seriously, he's like the male Meryl Streep. I know. He, they, he might as well, they might as well just give him an award every time that he's in a film and just leave it at that. Um, so the issue I have with Daniel Day-Lewis um, winning this, it's hard to judge his performance in, a f- Lincoln, in Lincoln, given that every single actor in that film is yeah. also putting in an almost career best. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, usually, usually when Daniel Day-Lewis is in a film, and let's take uh, There Will Be Blood, his yeah. last Academy Award-winning film... Um, milkshakes, <laughs> Eli! <laughs> if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that film, he just completely dominates the yeah. screen. Like, it's, everybody else just might as well have not shown up. And really, it's the same in things like Gangs of New York, mm. where, you know... Um, but yeah, as you say here, it's just, his performance just doesn't stand out as much as usual. Yeah. Right? Just because everybody is brilliant. I can, I can understand Daniel A. Lewis winning, but I actually yeah. wanted Denzel Washington to win. I thought his performance in Flight was... I actually was haven't just seen amazing. Flight. Amazing. And it's, it's, Denzel Washington is just always good. He's always, um, always brilliant. What? Okay, so finishing up with Best Picture, Argo. No complaints there. None at all. Yeah, really, not much to say. Good yeah, choice. It was, it was a good choice. I think it's, it's closest contender with Silver Linings Playbook. Um, yeah. Or Life of Pi. Life of Pi has that very um, Academy Award winning type feel to it. Yeah. I'm glad um, Lincoln didn't win because I actually found Lincoln quite boring. My only uh, problem with Argo, not to spoil it, but was the ending. It's, it just seemed compared to the rest of the film, a little unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a little, ta- a little tacked on, a little and, that d- and that didn't actually happen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I find it very interesting, though, that um, in the past, if a movie is historically inaccurate, they'll often the, the people will often attack it before the Academies if it's been nominated. I remember the massive um, furor that happened over the hurricane yeah. when that was nominated, and it's like, Argo is, like... 70% inaccurate. <laughs> it's um, like a comic book version of the real Well, events. it completely... I mean, as much as I love the film, I mean, it completely downplays the importance of what the Canadians did. It overstates the importance of what the CIA did. Yeah. Uh, changes a lot of facts. Like, it does... It, you know, but um, it's still a fantastic film and worthy of winning, but I'm just surprised that there wasn't any um, kerfuffle about it this time around. What well, makes them look very good. Mm-hmm. Mm. It does. So there you go. So uh, what what people are saying were the uh, the safest bet Academy Awards for a while. It's pretty easy to get. You know, um, yeah, it was. Uh, to pick I, them all. Actually, I think I think probably the last few years mm. the Academy Awards has actually been sort of safe bet winning. Mm. Like it's it, it's it's become it has become fairly predictable. Mm. Um, but look, that's not a bad thing. I don't think there was really anything that I disagreed with too much. Yeah. So just uh, we'll just briefly we'll finish up with uh, talk about the show itself now. Um, yeah, so this year's host was Seth MacFarlane, and uh, it was an interesting broadcast. It was uh, full of uh, family guy 
type humor mm. um, which you have to expect since he is the <laughs> creator of family guy and uh, some of it was very hit and miss uh, I actually I, I do like the fact that he managed to put in he actually managed to work in the family guy style montage flashback things that, that the episodes do into the broadcast of stuff which was kind of cool um, so there's, there's there's been uh, there's been it's, it's been quite polarizing uh, his his hosting gig. It's actually it's, I find it quite interesting. It's like there hasn't been there hasn't been a lot of oh my god worst host ever, but there it's it's been very much either like, you, you liked it or you didn't like it, but it wasn't you hated it or you loved it. So it's uh, he's already said that he's not going to come back, which I actually think is a shame because I think with a with a second go, mm. I think he would actually do a better job. Some of the jokes. Flat, uh, foul flat, and that's to be expected. Not even Billy, the great Billy Crystal, I think, is the best Oscars host. Um, every joke worked, but the but the beauty of the but the genius of Billy Crystal is that if a joke doesn't work, he can move on, yeah, yeah. and then be funny. The problem, I think, the biggest problem Seth, Seth MacFarlane had had was that if a if a joke didn't work, he would reference it. So he would it, it was like he was doing a stand up gig. So he'd, he'd make some sort of comment like. Oh, it it doesn't it doesn't get doesn't get better than this. So you might as well you know, you know sit back and relax. Or it's like oh that worked in the writing room or something like that. Mm. And it's just I think that just that just focused too much on the weakness of his of his yeah of his writing. Um, a friend of mine who uh, was watching the Oscars with um, made the point that because he's also a Seth MacFarlane fan. Yeah. Uh, made the point that he was actually pitching his humor to the wrong crowd. Yeah. Um, that it, that the type of stuff you're talking about would actually have worked in a um. In a stand-up routine, or you know, exactly right, in front of a in front of a university crowd or something like this. But it be, it, because you're in front of um, the the industry, you you don't do you don't do the Family Guy jokes. You go for sort of more broader, um, yeah, see, more, I, I, more broader stuff. And I, and that's where he, not knowing what his audience was yeah. was really his biggest letdown. Then, Billy Crystal knew what his audience was. Even yeah. when the jokes didn't work, he'd go right, move on. You know, be a showman about it. Whereas Seth MacFarlane's not a showman. Seth yeah. MacFarlane's a writer. I'm totally with you there. If you didn't do the Family Guy jokes, the, the Family Guy fans would be going, oh, he sold out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Whereas Seth MacFarlane, some of his jokes, is with the absolute worst, I think, was for the guy who starred in The Artist. Mm. And he's like, oh, and he, you know, he wins the Academy Award and then he's not seen again for 12 months. Like, well, of course he's not, because he's... American audiences, they just, you know, they just yeah. don't care. The guy's yeah. French. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he, and it just, and they, they cut to him and it just, he just... He looked kind of shocked. You know, so he had the sort of that... That sort of oh well I better smile because everybody's looking at me, mm-hmm. but you could tell you could tell he was upset and I you know it just it sort of moved on from there. The, so it was uh, really weird. The stuff with William Shatner was good though. I think they had a good rapport. Yeah. So, so the, the 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 whole William Shatner section I thought um, was very very interesting. Do you actually know what I'm talking about? No, I didn't see that. Okay, he sends he sends he basically the William, the William Shatner sequence is uh, where Shatner comes back as Kirk he's playing Kirk mm. and he says um, I've come back from the future to stop you because the, the show is going to be a disaster you're the worst Oscars host ever mm. um, and here's some bits to show this here's some bits from the show that you're about to do but you can't do because they're terrible and so and I thought was, they had like a bit of you know comedy back and throw back and forth which I thought was pretty good and so one of the first bit was the boob song apparently he was going to do a, a song and dance routine where he talks about we saw your boobs and it's like you know Naomi Watts we saw your boobs in whatever movie you saw him in and Charlize Theron you saw your boobs in whatever and Halle Berry saw your boobs Kate in Winsley. Monster Ball and Kate Winslet we saw your boobs in every Everything. single film we've ever been in mm. what's, what's interesting about that is that it was obviously pre-recorded yeah. because it cuts to the people in the crowd. So it cuts to Naomi Watts, who just looks horrified. Mm. It cuts to Charlize Theron, who's like holding her head and face in her hands, like you know, embarrassed. Oh my God. And it cuts to Jennifer Lawrence, because he's like, and Jennifer Lawrence, we haven't seen your boobs yet. 
and it casts Jennifer Lawrence. She's like, "Yay!" <laughs> Doing a cheer. Now, the reason it's the reason it's I find this segment is fascinating is because it's clearly pre-recorded. Mm. Because Jennifer Lawrence is sitting next to two different people. Yep. When you actually see her later, mm. and more importantly, she's wearing a different dress. <laughs> All right. So it's like seriously, and Charlie's the wrong. Actually, so when that sequ- sequence finishes, and he and Seth says, "Oh, you're right. It's terrible. I can't do that. We'll do this as dead." And then immediately bursts into song, and Charlie's Theron and um, Shannon Shannon Tatum, or I can't pronounce that guy's name. Shannon Tatum, yeah, Shannon Tatum, come in and do a dance routine. Mm. So once again, you've got so how? So I mean, unless Charlie's Theron, I mean, she's she's very talented actress, but I didn't know she could teleport mm. yeah. to the back and get into another dress and then do a dance routine. So clearly pre-recorded, and there's been a lot of background background sort of you know furor about. It. I was like, oh yeah, it's a disgrace. How can you do that song? And stuff. Oh, who cares? He didn't do the song. Mm. Calm down. It was it was a, a something that never happened. Like we should have said, here's what you did. Like yeah. they showed the recording. It wasn't live. It was no one ever said it was going to be live. Just I mean, just to finish up, it's basically if you're going to hire Seth MacFarlane to, to host the Oscars, expect Seth MacFarlane type humour. Mm. Is that you know? That, have, a, have a look at yeah. what he's done. I don't know. Look at his body of work. Yeah, <laughs> did like, you not? And I haven't seen a lot of them, but you know, anyone who's seen Ted should. The fact that Ted actually appears at one stage in the thing, that should be indication <laughs> enough of what Seth MacFarlane's humour is like. Yeah. You know, he's and I actually don't think it's all Seth MacFarlane's fault. I mean, the, the, the writers, the writers who did the dialogue for the people who come up and gave the awards, they should be fired. Hmm. Like, instantly fired. Because every single person looked uncomfortable and not funny. The Avengers bit. How can you get that group of people who just basically poor charm just look so boring? <laughs> so it's like they just wanted to get off that stage ASAP. Anyway, moving on. So that's the uh, coverage of the Academy Awards. Uh, how did you go with your picks? If um, if you did better than us, or well, you couldn't have done better than Richard because you got a hundred percent. That's right. <laughs> then uh, let us know. Next up is our favorite soundtrack slash themes slash music slash anything <laughs> from TVs and Stop movies. Saying slash. <laughs> yeah. So for our favorite soundtracks slash films. <laughs> no. no, no, I'm sorry. Not counting musicals because I want to do a musicals episode at some point. Uh, but uh, so I thought well, instead of doing like a top five, sorry, I was just going to think. But the Windy City is mighty pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you never have to apologise for bursting into uh, a bit of Doris Day. <laughs> um, I put my hand up. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, she does. <laughs> um, so. Instead of doing a top five, I thought we'd actually go through each of the crew members and they can list their top five choices of their themes and why they chose them. And what I'm actually, I'm actually going to have uh, a short clip from each of the themes so you know what they're talking about and why they chose it and whether you agree or disagree after their little bits. So, pretty exciting. And after a lot of, all a lot of bits. A lot of editing for me. That's <laughs> right. I'll, I'm pretty good. I'll figure it out. So, we'll start off with Richo. Okay, I have to say, this is actually probably the hardest uh, top five list I've had to do. There was, I, I started off with about 30 or 40 pieces of music and just yep. had to trim them down. And, and I will be honest, there were a fair few pieces of music I took out knowing full well that one of the other guys here in the NPC crew would choose those pieces of music. Good. So I'd still get to talk about them. Um, so I tried to sort of pick a few pieces that might not necessarily come up from the others. Um, so what you're saying is your style is having your cake and eating it. Exactly fruit. right. No, that's <laughs> smart. I'm cool with it. Um, Okay, at number five, I chose uh, the Batman theme music, uh, the Denny Elfman theme from the Tim Burton film of 1989.
this is just, um, yeah, look, this is just an awesome piece of music. It's a good sort of action piece. Um, and it was obviously so good that um, they then used that in the Batman cartoon as well as the opening for the cartoon as well. And um, it's just one of those pieces that's just become synonymous with Batman for me. And, you know, Batman's awesome. <laughs> just as an aside there. <laughs> just, just Batman is awesome. At uh, number four, uh, and this is actually a bit of a personal choice. I'll explain why in a second. But I chose the uh, at number four the main theme from uh, Last of the Mohicans, the nineteen ninety two film. Uh, the music is by Trevor Jones. <laughs> I chose this film is uh, this piece of music specifically is that um, this is actually a film that uh, my stepfather and I used to watch together a lot. There are we didn't often agree on a lot of movies or anything, but the, <laughs> the the one movie that he absolutely loved from the first time I showed it to him onwards was Last of the Mohicans, and yeah. seriously, he just he watched it over and over and over again, and it was awesome. And um, but uh, the sad part of the news is that uh, he passed away in 1997. Uh, I actually was asked to choose music to play at the funeral and um, I chose two pieces from Last of the Mohicans and this was one of them. So it, it has quite a sort of personal uh, meaning for me in that regard. So What a goddamn legend Gordon was. He was awesome, no doubt about it. And um, but, um, but also, I mean, it is a great piece of music and uh, a good sort of sweeping epic uh, music. And, and interestingly, in that regard, it then got used time and time again for basically every trailer for the next 10 years that was a sweeping epic yeah. they would use this piece of music just, in like, trailer, just like every so. science fiction used uh, the aliens music exactly right <laughs> this, uh, every exactly sweeping right. epic used your, the last um, one that you can okay my number three choice um, was the title music from the 1978 version of Superman by John Williams Superman <laughs> Epic, epic piece of music, and every time I hear it, I can't help but like swell up in the chest, and uh, you mm. know, um, even the, a very brief part that da, 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 part mm. at the start was actually used when um, Christopher Reeve um, appeared on Smallville, yeah. and even then I couldn't help like swell yeah. up. It's like yes, this is yeah. a real it Superman. Is, it has become so synonymous with the character that yeah. 
you can't oh, yeah. we almost can't have one without the other and they've actually um, said they're not going to use it yeah. in the new man of steel movie, but no i actually think they will it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to imagine yeah. a superman movie without that piece of music even, work even, it in superman, somehow. even superman returns used it and that was good because yeah. that was like sitting in the cinema when superman returns started and that music started up i was like yes i am watching a superman I film. i almost got out of my seat yeah, yeah was, exactly right it was like it's, it's the kind of music that just gets you up and like yeah. one, makes you want to cheer it's like it's like if they took the darth vader musical thing Exactly right. Okay, my number two choice is uh, the main theme music from The Mission by Ennio Morricone. Honestly, I think Morricone is probably the best composer of music, of cinema music, basically of all time. He is just astonishing. His soundtracks are always completely different. Mm. Like, his soundtrack to The Mission is completely different to the soundtrack to The Untouchables, which is different, again, to his Spaghetti Western soundtracks. Um, I like John Williams because I always get Star Wars and the Superman music mixed up in my head, and I'm thinking, (laughs) why I can't imagine the other one? Yeah, John Williams actually always operates in the same key. Yeah. And look, there, there were a lot of choices for Morricone. Yeah. Half my list had Morricone on it until I narrowed it out. What I love about the Mission piece of music is that he manages to combine South American tribal music with Christian choral music in a way that is seamless and just perfectly fits the movie. Mm. Um, it's just, it is just an astonishing piece of music. That's, that's one of your things, though, combining two absolutely, absolutely. If you can combine two dis, you know, dis, disparate and just completely separate types of music mm. into something seamless. And make it it's, work. And make yeah. it work, yeah. That's just an amazing feat for any musician. Okay, my number one choice, and this is a bit of a cop-out because it actually wasn't written for the movie at all, um, but my number one choice is um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, mm. which was written a good, what, 80 years before <laughs> um, 2001? But it has become so completely synonymous with 2001 now yeah and 2001 is of course as i've mentioned in the past my favorite movie and the the nothing gets me more sort of fired up than the opening sequence of 2001 uh with that heavy bass kicking in and the monolith appearing and even seriously even when i'm at the Asta and i'm watching you know trailers and they bring on the trailer for 2001 I'm still completely blown away by it. So you, we, the, the listeners will have noticed that I didn't. I didn't play a clip uh, from this song because it is actually our title. Our title theme as well. That's right, and I think <laughs> I think that shows just how good the piece of music is. That's Even right. we want to use it for our music. So it's it's a it's probably the most perfect use of classical music mm. in a more modern film. Nice, nice list. Some good choices. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) The words were stuck in my throat. The Superman theme will reappear again in a couple of other people's lists. I can assure you of that. So next up is Jan Luke. Okay, um, my first at number five, um, and I'm not really going in much of a descending order here. This is just music music of life. But um, number five um, is uh, track two called The Sentimental Walk from a film called Diva. 
Um, now, for those of you who do not know what Diva is, Diva is a French film uh, released in 1981, a, um, a crime film about a, a young curator called Jules, who is also a big opera fan, and he records, makes an illegal recording of his favourite opera singer during one of her performances. Um, that becomes, uh, he comes under the attention of some Taiwanese uh, music pirates who, tr- who try to track him down to get the, um, the recording. However, the recording gets substituted for the confessions of a prostitute who has witnessed a murder. Um, some uh, gangsters also start coming after him as well. Um, but he events, ends up having this relationship with the opera singer who he's illegally recorded. And, and the piece of music that plays over their sort of romance, um, the scene is a montage of them walking through Paris from night to day. Um, it's just a very simple um, piano piece, piece um, with about using about three chords, I believe. It, it's con- it's composed by Vladimir Kosma. Um, just a very nice, simple, uh, slight jazzy feel to carry the um, the emotional weight. And I've always loved it. I love the moment in the film, and when it comes out, when I when I watch it, I always turn the stereo on so I can listen to the music. It's it's simplicity, but the emotional resonance that comes from that simplicity as well. Now, at number four. I'm going to put Blade Runner Blues, which okay. is the um, the moment in Blade Runner where Rachel and Deckard are actually finally coming together. But it's uh, it, it's really the um, the use of the, sa- the combination of the saxophone and the synthesizers. It um, it is uh, it is a really strong piece of music. Interestingly enough, when you first said Blade Runner Blues, I had no idea what you were talking about when we were discussing this the other day. Um, on my soundtrack, it's just called The Love Theme. Oh, no. so, <laughs> and and there ain't no love there. Um, number three, and this is sort of where we get into the, the tail end, I've now gone with almost three of the greatest composers in cinema history. Number three, I've got Bernard Herrmann, The Overture to North by Northwest. Awesome. Um, and part of the reason why th- why th- this works is that there's a nice build up to the um, the moment where the actual piece of music starts, it's like the you know slow basses, slow cellos, um, but with a constant constant beat. And then when it actually hits, it hits full pell. It's like almost listening to Russian dervishes twirling about the stage in music form. Thank you. 
awesome chase music. Yeah, <laughs> it it's is. like perfect chase music. It's become and like it's become like the the track for chases. Exactly yeah. right. And, it but, is and the ultimate just, chase music. It captures the essence of what is going on in the film, which is yeah. what the soundtrack theme needs to do. It needs to yeah, capture the essence of what is going on. And in this case, it's Cary Grant's character constantly on the run. You know, const- you know, there's a, a forward momentum going on. And that's what the music absolutely does it invites you in and it says yep this is going to be nothing but one long ride um, and I think it's a stunning piece of music um, my number two is um, Jerry Goldsmith's uh, opening theme um, for Chinatown Opening themes, I think, are a big thing with me. They're the thing that invites you in in the first place. And yeah. whilst you can have uh, really good music playing out through the rest of the film as well, um, the opening theme is really, in many cases, it's the thing that invites you into the film in the first place. It, it, yeah, and it also, um, I think, it informs either the story or the character in music form. Yeah. Like when you hear that piece of music, it should start to inform you exactly of the type of movie you're watching yeah. and, and give you at least a little bit of a sort of musical accompaniment to things you should know about the main character. Yeah, and in this case in Chinatown, it's a, it's a nice sort of weird string thing that happens at the start and then goes into a very slow uh, trumpet solo, mm. um, which is meant to reflect uh, Jake Giddy's, you know, uh, the but with a, a noirish um, sense of atmosphere. And so it captures the feeling of Chinatown, the, sort of the loneliness of Jake Giddy's. Um, with uh, sort of the more darker mood, I think, quite well. So that's my number two. And it's one of those ones that I consider sometimes my own personal thing, but... <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> the and, look theme. And then my number one choice, again, Morricone, because I'm a big Morricone fan, um, the, theme song, the theme music to The Good, The Bad and The Ugly.
you cannot get more iconic than the opening bars. To the point where they constantly play the opening bars throughout the film. As it, becomes punctu- a, it becomes a motif. Yeah, it becomes, yeah. it's a motif, yeah. uh, but almost as punctuation. When they only need to point out who yeah. the good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly are, they go, wah, wah, wah. And it's one of those ones where if you, you can just play those opening mu- that opening music, you might not have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, but you know, but you know where it's coming from. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it's been used so often, that music in, in you know, parodying and pastiching mm. and, and, and copying the, the good, the bad, and the ugly that... Yeah, it's 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 actually tran- just transcended the movie into. Yeah, but the you know, the reason why it works is its starkness and its simplicity, hmm. yeah. and I think that's why Morricone is such a good. I mean, I know yeah. Richard before was talking about bringing two different musical ideas together to create something new, but I think what his actual strength is is um, actually creating very simple yet very evocative and effective music. You know, the mission is a good example. The thing is a good example. Once upon a time in the West is another one. Um, the man is constantly. I don't think he's ever done a very ba- done a bad soundtrack. Or a bad piece of music. Yeah. Every single thing that he's done has yeah. always been something that's added to the film and um, been worth listening you, to. You listen to this one, you can, it feels hot and dusty. And, exactly and, right. And, and you see cigar-smoking mm. men, filthy men. And yeah. just... Awesome. So next up is Crystal. My, my top pick soundtrack slash TV <laughs> music <laughs> is the theme for Superman the movie. Um, it was a toss-up whether to pick that or the Star Wars theme, but uh, the reason I picked it is because it just reminds me of probably my first cinematic experience as a child, even though I saw it on the TV. It's still a cinematic experience. When you're a kid, the TV looks big. Um, <laughs> but you did the TVs way back when, too. Yeah, yeah. when they were big. So, yeah, it was, it was big. Oh, monsters. Um, the, the thing I love about soundtrack music in particular is that uh, it's the very nature of it's designed to evoke emotions and to transport you into another place and yeah. and that's what this theme does it, it's especially combined with the opening sequence of moving through space it, it really takes you on a journey um, but I'll move on because we've already talked a lot about that one <laughs> my next one is the Star Trek Deep Space Nine theme from the TV show mm. my favourite of all the Star Trek themes 
it certainly poops all over that god awful Russell Watson Enterprise theme, which oh, I yeah. refused to even listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's terrible. But I just I love the this this one's sort of a darker, moody, more moody theme than the rest of them. It just appeals to me in some it, it, it reflects the nature of the show. And yeah. what what I liked about it was it's actually very different to um Jerry Goldsmith's yeah. Star Trek music that was then used for Next yeah. Gen, which is a bit more yeah. adventurous. It's more jaunty, this, isn't it? Whereas yeah. this one sort of this is a bit more of a dark and gritty yeah. show. Um, number number three on my list is the Labyrinth soundtrack. Now I, I have real trouble picking any one piece of music that I like the best out of this, but uh, we'll go with the the Magic Dance song. You remind me of the babe, babe with the power. Because the music is almost as important as the characters in this film. It just it, it, it uh, completes the whole look and feel feel mm. of the of the film, and the music is just fun. Mm. That's, oh, that's just, Bowie. Bowie is just awesome. Bowie is. That's just all Bowie that comes is, down Bowie to. Bowie is awesome. But the music the music is fun. It's good to have some fun music. And the next one is also a TV themes. I don't know if you guys remember a show called Due South. Yes, you do. It's uh, for those for those of you who don't. It is uh, a, a show about a Canadian Mountie who comes down to I think it's is it Chicago? Oh it's, right, yeah, I, I don't remember. It, was it, it has been a long time since but I've seen it. An American city, anyway, and he is working with the police force there, and he has this wolf called Diefenbaker, and it's like it's a detective show. Hmm. But I remember watching it back in the nineties when it came out, and and every episode there was a song in it that I liked, hmm. and I thought, oh, I've got to track down the soundtrack, I've got to track this down. And never, never actually did. And then um, when David said we're doing soundtracks, I thought oh, I really like the soundtrack of that. So I did track it down, and and I bought it off the iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> that they ever played in it just 
I just liked it's just really got into and it's just it's part of that thing where soundtracks are designed to make you transport you to another place and make you feel a part of the atmosphere um, and emotion of the show uh, the piece that David's going to play for this one is called Cabin Music and it's just an instrumental piece for the show but it gives you an idea of the sort of atmosphere it's trying to portray and my last one which unfortunately hasn't stood the test of time I remember loving it when it came out my dad and I loved it so much actually that back before the internet was available and you could just download this stuff we actually set up a tape recorder in front of the TV and taped it <laughs> <laughs> old school it's the, uh, the theme tune to another old TV show called Young Riders Show of the Young Guns. Yeah, is that okay. like a, the Pony Express. The Pony Express, young Stephen Baldwin. So never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, never heard of the show. But no, this, cool. <laughs> I, just, I think what I loved about this piece of music is because it's it's Pony Express, obviously, but the music just you can feel riding a horse within the music. No. Um, but like I said, listening back to it, it's still a nice piece of music, but it doesn't inspire me the way it did when I first heard it. <laughs> So that's my lot. Awesome. awesome. Well done. I, I'm glad you put stuff like Young Riders in there because uh, when I heard it, I was like, this actually is a pretty cool piece of music. I, yeah. I wouldn't put it in my top five, but it's pretty cool. And then, to like, you know, had, then I was like, I had to research what you know, Juicy Allen Young Riders were. So that, that yeah. was, brought back some memories. Well, part of the reason I put it in there is because of that. Sort of, it may not be the best piece of music in the world, but it's something that made an impact on me at some yeah. point. Yeah, that's, what, yeah. And that's why I like to, the fact that you put it in. Yeah, so for my one, uh, I'm going to go from uh, five to one at number five. And, and like Rich, I said at the start, this is bloody hard yeah. um, to put together and stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have in here that should be. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I only had the five, so what could you do? Uh, so starting up at number five, I had uh, the main title from the Australian film Proof.
Um, it's one of my favourite films of all time, and it's also one of my favourite pieces of music. I just, I just like it because it's just nutty. <laughs> it's like there's about <laughs> 50 different instruments in there, yeah. and uh, it just goes off. I just, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And, so, and, so, and it's, it is crazy to sort of to, to sort of give you an idea of just how wacky the situations in the film are. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Proof, Brent. Good uh, number four, I have a Battle of the Heroes from uh, Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. My second favourite piece of Star Wars music, and I'll get to my first in a second. Um, it just it perfectly captures exactly what's happening on screen, and uh, just how it, it's. I don't know. I don't know if it's sort of um, because I've seen the imagery that comes with it as well. But I just, I to me, it just it translates perfectly for just how angry and confused and furious Anakin is versus how desperate and upset and strangely calm Obi Wan is mm. uh, during their fight. I just. It, I think it's brain stuff. Uh, coming in at number three, um, just like uh, everybody else, super, uh, the main theme from Superman the movie. Yay! Um, I, I won't talk about it. It's just, it's it's brain. <laughs> Moving on. Um, it's it's <laughs> all you need to say. Really. It's it's, just, it's brain. Uh, at number two, my uh, other piece of uh, Star Wars music, and I'm sure it's on everybody else's list as well, is the Imperial March mm. uh, yeah. from Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. There's, there's not much more that I can say that it hasn't already been said a hundred billion times before. It is, it is I think, it, it, even more so than the actual Star Wars main title, um, probably Star Wars' most recognised piece of music. You it's, couldn't use that piece of music anywhere else mm. and not expect Vader to appear on the screen. Yeah, and it it's is. been used for everything from political campaigns mm. to um, comedy. Just, it's, it it's, is, just, it's unbelievable. It is probably the most ominous piece of music yeah. as well. Like, just... It, it just 
like inspiring terror. It's like, oh my god, someone's yeah. going to die right now. Is, someone's going to be choked to death from another spaceship. Um, so, and coming in at number one uh, is a piece of music that, for me, I just I cannot help feeling an emotional connection wherever this music plays. Um, and is the the planet Krypton from Superman the movie. It's a short piece, piece um, uh, but it's just for me. It's just I just feel something in my heart every single time that it appears, and I just I, strangely enough, I, f- I feel kind of nostalgic for Krypton, as if I'm like homesick. <laughs> it's like it is like the because I basically because I know what's going to happen to Krypton later on, and just it is just it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. Always wondered about your origins. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's a good example of just how great a piece of soundtrack music can be. Mm. I mean, it's making you feel nostalgic for a planet that actually doesn't exist, that you've yeah. never been to, that, yeah. you know, that it's, it's really just strange. there on the screen, yet it's such a powerful piece of music that it, it has that effect, and yeah. that's that's amazing, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's our, there's our top fives. Um, yeah, it, it was hard. Um, there's so much. Mm. I mean, Raiders, obviously, is really, I mean, the, the Star Wars main yeah. theme, the Star Trek, you know, theme. Uh, I had I had um, uh, the main music from the Terminator. Yeah, the Terminator, um, Aliens. I was originally going to have Aliens in there. I had a couple of um, pieces by Max Steiner, like the original Casablanca music, and um, and quite a lot from Bernard Herrmann as well. It was like, <laughs> yeah, so obviously it shows just how important the soundtrack is to the movie experience. Yeah, I mean, like Crystal, I think Crystal hit the nail on the head with uh, it. I mean, it's it tells you what's it shows basically shows you what's going to happen, mm. and then transports you to that world. Mm. You know, in its music, so. Um, so there you go. There's our uh, there's our top you know, top picks for the soundtracks and themes. Uh, let us know yours if you've got a, an absolute favourite piece of music that uh, that you just can't help stopping to listen to if you ever hear it. You can't um, believe we didn't mention it. Yeah, it's like how dare you not mention this? The theme from Elf. What's going on there? <laughs> the um, mash theme. How could we not mention the mash theme? There's, uh, there's thousands that we didn't mention. Um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up next. Coming soon. So coming soon in the next two weeks in Australian cinemas, March 7th, we get Broken City, 21 and over, Great Expectations, and Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, 21 and over is just your typical teenagers getting drunk party movie. It looks like like a remake of The Project, which is kind of scary. It looks looks very boring. Great Expectations, if you don't know what that is, what's going on? 100 years, um... (laughs) And uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, I'm looking forward to this one. I reckon this one looks uh, pretty cool. San Raimi. Yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced yet, but I mean, I'll see it. 
anything yeah, the only thing I find kind of weird about it is it, it it betrays the Oz, the great Wizard Oz, um, as you know, as, as like a hero. He's basically the hero of the movie. But then when you see him in Wizard of Oz, he's a douche. <laughs> it's like, well, what's happened here? It's kind of weird. Better go. Hey, I'm well. I'm see it. it. It looks beautiful. Mm. And then on March 14, we get Goddess, The Incredible Bert Wonderstone, Parker, Dark Skies, and Mama which uh, we originally mentioned in our previous episode, but has been delayed until now. Mm. Um, uh, the incredible Burt Wonderstone, Steve Corral plays an ageing uh, Las Vegas magician who has his crown threatened by Jim Carrey's sort of street magician, uh, but also has Steve Buscemi, Alan the Legend Arkin, uh, James Gardolfini and Olivia Wilde. Um, it, uh, it just looks ridiculously over the top. Um, Parker, of course, is, uh, is yet another uh, Parker story uh, for the big screen, this time with... Jason Statham. I just, um, yeah, I, I'm not entirely certain that Jason Statham is the right person to play Parker. Yeah, not 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 in the way that Lee Marvin was. Yeah. <laughs> as, as much as I love him, I think he's awesome. I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the start, we have a competition from the awesome guys from All Star Comics. Uh, Mitch and Troy were generous enough to donate some Marvel Motion Blu-rays, Marvel Motion, motion Comic Blu-rays, which uh, which is awesome. So. Uh, All Star Comics, uh, level one four ten Lonsdale Street, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, phone number nine six four two zero zero seven one. Check them out. Facebook, Twitter, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, so for our competition, uh, like I said, we've got we've got two prizes. One's a, a pack of three of the motion comics, and the other one's a pack of two. Uh, now the the first prize is the three you get. Uh, Astonishing X Men gifted by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. Spider-Woman, Agent of Sword by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleve. And Iron Man Extremist by Warren Ellis and Addie Gronov. And the second prize uh, is the Spider-Woman and Iron Man Extremist uh, ones. So pack of three for the first prize, pack of two for the second prize. Uh, so all you need to do to win is mention the writer and artist of those titles. So... Astonish Next Men Gifted, Spider Woman Agents of Sword, and Iron Man Extremists. Name all three writers and artists from those, and uh, we'll put you into the NCP hat and uh, pick out some winners. Uh, so, yeah, so get those into us uh, by next episode. Um, so, you got you basically got two weeks to get those entries in. You can get those entries in by any of the following. You can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or you can tweet us at, at nerdculturecast. Or you can leave a comment on, our, or on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. That was the best segue you've ever done. Mm. <laughs> Thank good. you. I'm very talented. <laughs> so that's it for episode 45. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy the uh, little snippets of uh, music that I'm going to play for you. And uh, we had lots of fun. It was a, it was a blast. <laughs> it's terrific. <laughs> and uh, let us know, like I said at the start, we'd like to know uh, how you went with the Academy Award picks. Or even if you even bothered watching the Academy Awards, if it means anything to you. I mean, who knows? There's plenty of people who I, I spoke to you know, at work for last, uh, last week or so that were like, I've got better things to do with my time. So, hey, let us know. That's pretty cool. Um, and also uh, your favourite uh, music from movies and TV. So that's it from me. And that's it from the crew. Richo. 
you know, you're sure you don't want me just humming the tunes rather than playing them. I did consider it, but then I my uh, my sanity returned and I decided no. <laughs> I'm not sure whether to take that as an insult or not. I think I will. Luke. I could play them on the hair on my mole. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You might only get one sound, but I could try. You could be the backing for my humming. We'll make a band. <laughs> and Grizzle. Batman! Bye! Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the Big Top Network.